And welcome back to another summer edition episode of the Limited Upside podcast. Uh, today, Mike and I got into the Orlando Magic. Um, it was a fun one. It was a little pessimistic, but it was real. It was good talk about uh, all the things that that I think the Orlando Magic fan base is going through, according to uh, Zach Oliver and Corey Hudson, our guests from Orlando Pinstripe Post, our SB Nation community. Um, it was a good talk. Mike and I enjoyed it. I think everyone here is going to probably enjoy it, too. And Orlando fan base, I hope you like it, too. But before you listen to it, here's what I need from you. Please go subscribe. Download all those good things. Write some reviews wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, you name it. Uh, if you can find it, download it. Look for Limited Upside Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter. Always shoot us questions. We get to the fan questions every single episode. You can find us at Limited underscore Upside. You can send Mike emails. Mike takes that. That's at Mike Prada uh, at SB Na- Mike Prada at SBNation.com. Uh, and he takes these. He's a good guy about them. We read these. So we like when the fans chip in. We appreciate the reviews. And I think uh, you'll really enjoy this Orlando Magic preview. Uh, after that comes the uh, Jazz Wizards Bulls. So if you're interested in those teams, they're coming soon. Here you go with the Limited Upside Podcast. Okay, cool. Welcome back again to another episode of our summer edition of Limited Upside Podcast. As always, I'm Ben Epstein here with Mike Prada. What's going on? Very good. Good to have you on, Mike. How you doing today, bud? Um, you know, hanging in there. It's uh, Hall of Fame <laughs> ceremony coming up, so basketball's on the horizon. Correct, correct, which is good, which is good. So we have moved on to our preview of the Orlando Magic, and joining us from Orlando Pinstriped Post, the managing editor and assistant editor. Uh, both of them very happy to have them. Here we have Zach Oliver and Corey Hudson joining us. Guys, it's great to have you both on for the first time. Well, good thanks for having us. And I know that you're, you're both diehard Orlando Magic through and through guys, which I think is important because it feels like a, a team that's had a lot of ebbs and flows uh, in in the lifetime of uh, of any Orlando Magic franchisee fan. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm very excited to get both your opinions on where we've landed now, which is I think Mike described this to me as one of the most interesting off seasons of any of our 30 podcasts that we that we're going to do on our team previews. So. I guess, Mike, why is it so interesting to you? And then hopefully you can give a proper question here for for one of the fellows. All right, so let's see. Here's what's happened in the last calendar year. Uh, Calendar year, Zach. Okay, maybe 14 months for the Magic. Hire Scott Skiles, who, by the way, had been out of the league for a long time, or a few days, uh, a few years, excuse me. Hired him. Started off really well. They, I believe, were six or seven games over 500. I think... Seven games over 500 uh, by the turn of the year. They look great. They look like they're flying and they're kind of adopting to the Skiles mentality. It's the Skiles bump as usual. Fall apart in the middle of the season. Trade Tobias Harris for two free agents, uh, two of Skiles players. Continue to fall apart. End the season kind of meekly. Skiles steps down, which means that the entire Scott Skiles effect that usually happens in three years happened in one year. (laughs) They yep. trade at the draft. They trade Victor Oladipo and the eleventh pick for Serge Ibaka, a kid trade that kind of came out of complete nowhere for a lot of them. They signed Bismack Biombo to back up Nick Vucevic for eighteen million a year. They signed Jeff Green for fifteen million a year. They signed a couple other rookie free agents. And oh, by the way, they have Frank Vogel as their new coach. That's after he left the Pacers, and he's talking about. Aaron Gordon at the three, and you know, a wild, weird front court of Biombo and Nick Vucevic, Serge Ibaka, uh, Jeff Green. All that happened in the last 14 months. So I pose it to you, Magic fans. A lot of people are looking at this as what the F are the Magic doing? <laughs> is there a defense for this? Like, are we, is the national kind of perception right or wrong? I, I think that the national perception is pretty fair because. They're they're kind of a of a kind of a cluster of nothing right now, you know. <laughs> we 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 don't really know what they're going to be, you know. I've been covering the team now for four years, and 
I could kind of get the sense that the team was already starting to buy out of Scott Skiles' approach by mid-December of last year. <laughs> it, it was pretty bad, especially with Victor Oladipo, because when Victor was moved to the bench at the end of November, which really gave the Magic a shot in the arm, he started pouting, which, you know, we came to expect with Victor because Victor thought that he was this superstar player and... Maybe I'm a little lower on Victor than a lot of people, but at the end of the day, he's probably best suited as a six man. So I, com- I completely agree. By the way, I think he's just um, a victim similar to Evan Turner of overdraft expectations in a weak, perceived weak draft. And you don't you don't do that to yourself, but unfortunately, he bought into it. You know, I think Evan Turner's embraced that six man, and he's a very valuable player. Obviously, as a contract, he just signed too. Um, not to put them against each other, but but really what I'm what I'm seeing though is what you're saying is there's no structure, there's no actual rhyme or reason to how the the roster's put together. Is there any particular? Obviously, it looks like the front court, but you could talk about the back court as well. Um, Corey, do you see a particular place that's most I don't know distressing? Uh, most distressing is for sure the offense. It's gonna be. <laughs> gonna be really really hard to see how they're going to put something together that's even uh, vaguely competent uh they, they got evan fournier that was a good signing i think most people agree that they they got a pretty good value on his contract especially given uh you know the rising salary cap drink mm-hmm. uh so uh, that's good Everything else, though, is really, really rough. Uh, Maybe Ibaka can space the floor a little bit, but at the same time, you're going to be compensating by uh, playing Aaron Gordon probably at the three is what looks like is going to happen, and I'm sure we can talk a lot more about that. And Aaron Gordon's not an incredible shooter. And then Bismack Biombo, of course, offers no offense. Uh, So it's I don't see how there's going to be a lot of improvement in that area. One other thing on on how we got to this cluster of a lineup that we have right now is that upper management, so above Rob Hennigan, you know, CEO to actual ownership, has really pushed in the last, I'd say, year and a half or so. So about that mm. fourteen to eighteen month period where things just went completely haywire. That you, they have to start winning now. And Hennigan was trying to grow this really organically and do it his way. And yes, it wasn't working, but at the same time, I thought it was because there, there was starting to be a good dynamic with some of the players. And then, you know, mm-hmm. they magic CEO, Alex Martins went out and, and hired Scott Skiles. That right. was a Martins hire. That was not a Rob Hennigan hire we saw them kind of have to backtrack on it a little bit and give Hennigan a little bit more power again to let him go get Vogel. Of course, no one could have seen Skiles just up and walking out after a year because that's not who Scott Skiles was. Right. But, and Vogel just, you know, kind of fell into their lap because Lord knows what the Pacers are doing. I, (laughs) (laughs) it did kind of work out nicely for the magic. We'll get to them. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think that some of it too was Skiles kind of, pulled a power move of sorts because he threatened to quit mid-season and then he didn't and then they traded Tobias who I think their reported stalemate was way overhyped by a lot of people because you know they clearly respected each other and Tobias I thought played well it just came down to the fact that Tobias didn't fit with the rest of the players him and Victor both needed the ball in their hands to be effective Alfred needs the ball in his hands to be effective there's one ball that that was that was a big problem there. So, so does Vuce, so does Vucevic as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. but but I think Vooch can can do it a little bit more as a complimentary guy because yeah yeah you, know, you, you can dump the ball in and he'll Agreed. get his fair share of rebounds. So I like other- Vucevic a lot, man. I, I was heartbroken that he was a casualty of bad management in the Sixers era where we valued Lavoy Allen more than we valued him. I, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that you are pining for an ex Sixer and you are overrating him. That never happens. Oh, uh, please. He's, <laughs> look, look, but he he looked he looked just fine on the Wizards right now, dude. I mean, 
mean, sure, but uh, yeah, I, Zach, I think <laughs> you make a really good point that this the instability of what it looks like their personnel moves and their style of play is one hundred percent a reflection of their instability in leadership, and that is what people around the league often say. It just does not seem like they have they have competing visions, and I think it's great that you laid out that there's what the GM wanted to do, and then there's what ownership and the president Alex Martins want to do, and they sort of come together. And in the Tobias Harris's case, I think it would be safe to say that that was what Scott Skiles wanted to do, that trade. Because even if you accept the premises that Tobias Harris doesn't fit with Victor, too much, too many guys that need the ball in their hands, they could have gotten more for Tobias Harris than they did. I 100% mm-hmm. agree. Yeah, yep. so that that is sort of that. But now what you're left with is this roster that it is – Going to be interesting, and Corey, you mentioned this. I don't know how that team is going to score. We, you know, they're looking at a starting lineup of Alfred Payton, who is a liability as a shooter and as a finisher. Although I do think he was a little more aggressive. If we're going to kind of split hairs, you've got Evan Fournier, who started the season I thought very well and sort of tailed off a little bit, but he's clearly the top perimeter option. It does look like Aaron Gordon's going to play the three. That's what Frank Vogel has said. I'm skeptical, but he is very young. And then you have Ibaka, you have who I think is a good shooter, but he's going to find, I think, that he he doesn't want that bigger role that he really thought he wanted or reported, kind of reportedly wanted. And then you have Vucevic, really very good offensively, but a bit of a liability defensively. And Biombo is a complete opposite. He's very good defensively, but a complete liability offensively. So... Given that score, and, and the other thing is you have Frank Vogel, who's a head coach who's not known for his offensive prowess. So if there is a path to this team being decent offensively within all that, like what is it? Like how can they possibly overachieve on that end? Well, I think Mario Hazonia is going to have to score 30 yeah. points a game. And, um, <laughs> and I guess you guys didn't hear, but I'm actually going to be starting at point guard this season, and they're just going to let me shoot the ball every time down. Okay. So nice. Congratulations. Th- that's, that, that's how we're going to score, uh, you know, 40 points a game instead of 30. Do you think, do either of you think that the second unit could beat the first unit five on five? Uh, in total points or just like, like, like just like if they, if they played each other, if, if Peyton went head to head with CJ Watson, Fournier against Meeks, Gordon against Herzonia, Ibaka, Jeff Green, and Vucevic Biombo, how close is that game? Hmm. I know, I know. I just realized this as I'm looking at the depth chart. It's, it's, Almost discern, uh, no, just a discernible difference in, in talent at each position, which could be good. That could be really deep, and and who knows? I, I will say, I will say this much: I don't actually think that Vucevic is going to end up starting. I think that hmm. that that's going to be Biombo's spot. So, I'd probably give the edge to the first unit because of the fact that they would literally not let anybody score around the rim. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, I, the second unit's offense would be a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would agree with that. I think that um, uh, a lot of that for me comes down to Aaron Gordon. I love me some Aaron Gordon. Yeah, I think yeah. he's he's got a lot of potential, but I also think he he was also just really good. Well, not really good, but relative to the rest of the team, a really good player. There's uh, mm-hmm. he does a lot of things that nobody else on the team can do. He'll like block three pointers on occasion when barely anyone else on the team gets blocks at all. Uh, he's <laughs> no. he's so athletic and, and does so many crazy things. I think that uh, just his presence alone makes me love that first team a, a little bit more than the second. But the point is is well taken. Fair. Uh, so so Fair. let's move to Aaron Gordon then. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, let's do it. Last year he made a big stride. Big strides. I thought. I thought he he improved. There's clearly the outlines of something special there. But some of the stuff that you guys are talking about, how about what made him makes him good. And he was actually particularly good also after they traded Harris. I think uh, to some degree that was an addition by subtraction move, but all that happened when he was a power forward. And now that he's mm-hmm. a small forward, I mean, is there with that unit, I guess you have Ibaka as a shooter, but he's sort of limited as a spot up player otherwise. And you have, again, a traditional kind of post up center or a center that can't really do much at all offensively. And, neither of whom can stretch the floor. What, how is this Aaron Gordon that the three thing going to work? I mean, is, is this doomed or is there a way that this could work? I think it could work, but so much, so much of it's going to be how well Aaron has developed his three pointer. You know, you, you touched on it that he made big strides last season, you know, from his rookie year to summer league, 
before last season, he was a completely different player. He was really confident out there, and he, he looked like he was ready to take that big jump. And then he went and messed around with his brother and broke his jaw and ended up having to miss yeah. part of camp. And then, you know, was put behind the eight ball a little bit, really started coming into his own. I think playing with the U.S. select team this summer is going to be big for him. From everything that I've heard from talking to people, he's made that improvement shooting. I need to see it be consistent to really believe it, though. Yeah, and that's a whole different thing in game situations. But he's going to have the opportunity. It's a different type of lineup when he's out of the game. And you guys both touched on how special he is, which sets him apart. He's going to play a ton of minutes, three and four. And he can play basically with any of the Ibaka, Biombo, or Vucevic as a counterpart on the court. He's going to crash the rim. He's 6'9", like 230, right? So, yeah, I, I've you know floated the idea to some people of putting out a lineup of you know Alfred Payton, Evan Fournier, Mario Azonia, Aaron Gordon and Serge Ibaka hmm. going small like the Warriors do and just running everyone to death because everyone in that lineup could run. And then you have Ibaka who can switch one through five, defends the rim. Gordon can switch one through five and defend the rim. Hmm. There's so much you know, switching and athleticism in that lineup. Yeah, see, that's, I thought, what they should do, right? I mean, that's what I think neutral fans want to see because that's exciting. And that at least kind of makes some intellectual sense, you know, even if you still have one of the centers. But instead, they went out and signed Biombo and Jeff Green. And so it's hard for me to see how they're going to have spent enough time playing small, which I think is what maximizes them. So what... What is the center rotation going to look like now that they have Vucevic and Biombo? I know Zach said he thinks that, that Vucevic is not going to start. How do you see those minutes playing out? Uh, I think that uh, I would agree with that. I think we're definitely going to see a lot more Biombo than just as a regular backup. At, at the very least, he's going to be a high minutes backup and i think the reason for that is that vogel is really going to want to do something to maximize the defense of the roster uh if you know we talked about the 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 amount of discord on the roster and how things don't quite fit together and the weird moves everywhere and a lot of that is true but if i were to make the the devil's advocate argument it's that they made a few moves which really focus on a very specific defensive strategy uh, having Frank Vogel and the likes of Serge Ibaka and Bismack Biombo on the same team really matches up with the kind of defensive philosophy and scheme that Vogel used in Indiana. In Indiana, he used uh, Roy Hibbert famously, you know, in his verticality to uh, <laughs> really, really play conservatively on defense. You know, try not to bring in a lot of help from other players; just rely on whoever the guard and Hibbert were to really uh, tackle the pick-and-roll by themselves. And I mean, by doing that, you limit the amount of three-pointers. And I think adding those players gives Vogel the opportunity to do the same kind of thing, which he can't necessarily do with Vucevic on the court, which is why I think that Biombo uh, could see more minutes than people are expecting. Yeah, and you know, we talk about the fact that the Biombo signing was somewhat surprising. My understanding was this. The Magic were locked in on Marvin Williams this summer. Interesting. And once it became clear that Marvin was going to stay in Charlotte and not go anywhere, they panicked Hmm. some, and they went and threw all their money at at Bismack. Marvin Williams makes a lot more sense. That definitely would. And, and it's also interesting because this is, they traded Tobias Harris for cap space. And now it's like, well, we just have to, we can't get anybody with our cap space. And so we're going to dump it somewhere. Uh, that is interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, that, that was from a, a highly regarded source within the organization. So that, <laughs> that, it, that's interesting. And you, know, you touch on the fact that they traded Tobias and they opened up all this cap space. They did it in the wrong offseason because everyone had cap space so why are you want going to come to a team that's won you know 100 and 
20 games or however many, I don't even know how many they've won in the last four years, you know, but they haven't won a lot. Like, why are you going to come here when you could go to a young team like Boston or even Washington's still pretty young? You know, you can go to some of these teams that are younger still and a lot better than the Magic and have a chance to win right away. Mm-hmm. Sure, if the Magic offer you $72 million for a guy that's a career backup probably in Bismack, yeah, you're going to take that. But that's when you get into the murky waters of overpaying players and then two years down the road, crap, I'm paying Bismack Biombo $18 million a year and he's not doing anything for me. Yeah, yeah. And no one wants him. Right, right. It's tough. Bismack Biombo is in a lot of ways like today's version of Ben Wallace, and that's something that you can figure out how to work around as, as an opponent. So it'll be interesting to see what his effect is. He gets exposed to more minutes uh, potentially in Orlando because you know he, he really bust onto the scene. He had a good season two, two years ago at the end, too, uh, halfway the season two, but he... Uh, this past year, this playoffs were so magnified. He was so explosive. Um, and those very public games, I think, were a big, as you seem to have uh, indicated there, probably paid a big way in the in the knee-jerk reaction uh, component, I'd, I'd imagine. But I have a couple mm, kind of less less X's and O's-ish questions and a couple just magic questions for you guys. You, are you okay with that? Sure, yeah. Okay, cool. We'll get back to the, the magic unveiled i saw this on your site a stars jerseys edition they're a, they're an alternative they they look like our team argentina's old olympic jerseys with the just a logo in the middle yeah i um <laughs> they're horrible jerseys. Um, <laughs> i i saw those when i woke up one morning and i actually thought that i was still sleeping and i was just having a bad nightmare Man, this is a really depressing podcast so far. This is good. Oh, this <laughs> oh, God. Like these jerseys are like they're like pinnies that uh, you you might wear. Kind of. Well, alternate choices are always awful. But these. Oh, no, the Wizards had some good ones today. Did you see the Wizards did ones? The, yeah. the, I, I the did. Wizards. Awesome. Those might be the best alternate jerseys that have come out in a few yeah. years. They should just make those their real jerseys. I don't. I don't quite know why they didn't do that. Uh, why don't they do that? Yeah, that makes so much more. They're beautiful. Yeah, I saw those. Uh, they're good ones. I also, as a Sixers fan, I got to say, we have some pretty nice nice uniforms. We work on the red and blue color scheme pretty well. Yeah, um, and the, the big problem for the Magic, too, they already have one god-awful jersey in their <laughs> gray, silver, throw-up, sleeve, pride <laughs> jerseys that they wear on Friday nights. <laughs> they, 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 they actually made something worse. Oh, my. Jeez. Well, this is this has been way too depressing a podcast so far. I did not expect this. But let me throw this out there. Historically, though, you guys have been blessed with some of the coolest gear by far. The starters jackets as kids, the Orlando Magic ones were hot for sure. Everyone liked those. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, their hats were always awesome. You guys got to have, and the second question I'm going to bring up was, how awesome was it to watch that Orlando Magic 30 for 30? Uh, this, it was called This Magic Moment. I'm sure you both watched it. Oh, was it awesome? It didn't end well. <laughs> no, it's but like to, re- to relive, dude. To relive those beginning parts, like to just like see those highlights again and see the way a fan base feels. My favorite part of any sports documentaries. I could sit there. I've had roommates walk downstairs and see me like on a couch with tears in my eyes watching a 1978 parade of like the the for the Broad Street Bullies winning, and it's an HBO you know the HBO documentary. I'm thinking to myself, why am I so? I'm like, because I'm so happy for my city. And when you see that, and this documentary, I thought did a great job when the highs were high they didn't win though <laughs> i know i know there was no pain i understand that but we should probably see what they what our magic fans thought instead of arguing <laughs> you think of the 30 for 30 all right so uh it was definitely uh so personally i didn't actually become a really big magic fan until the uh the dwight howard era uh so that entire space beforehand is a little bit of a void to me but in that sense i really appreciated it because uh mm-hmm. The, the mid-90s Magic are such a, a fascinating team, and there's so many what-if questions that surrounded that group about, you know, what if what if Shaq never left, or, or what about the trades they made, how they got Penny? All those things uh, made it such a compelling team, and, you know, everybody loves the, uh, well, not Magic fans, but the, the story of their notable playoff failures. Where, right, right. Yeah, you know, makes compelling theater. 
it yeah but no, like, it, it was great I, it was it was an outstanding documentary you like all the 30 for 30s for sure all, for sure great. Well, because they are really the encapsulation of that unfulfilled potential, which every 30 for 30 is basically about in some capacity, right? Either some kind of terrible thing went wrong or uh, it's an unfulfilled potential thing, you know, and, and so they as a team kind of embody that. Yeah, you know, I I was growing up in the 90s. I'm, I'm 23, so I don't, you know, necessarily remember watching those teams mm-hmm. too much. But, you know, seeing the history of it, you know, obviously most of which I already knew, but really coming back to life was really interesting. And I think it highlights another problem that the Magic have to, you know, they moved into the Amway Center in 2010. The Amway Center is fantastic. Like I've, I think I've been literally everywhere in that arena at this point mm-hmm. from sitting in the press box on the seventh floor of the arena <laughs> looking down at like elves playing basketball to, you know, don't make fun of Scott Skiles, man. He was a good player (laughs) (laughs) to to being under the, you know, being down under in the locker rooms. Mm -hmm. But the, the big problem that they have is they have so much there when you're a fan, you know, there's a, a big bar that you can go stand at and watch the game, which right. I've, I've done that before because I just buy, you know, cheap nosebleed tickets. Hey, I'll go stand here because I'm, you know, mid-level. I have a good view. Sure. You know, there's, there's a big kids play area up in the upper deck and then another bar right next to it. So, the, and then they've got bars on the outside. They have restaurants inside. They have all these amenities right. that take away from the game. You know, Josh Robbins of the Orlando Sentinel has notoriously said that this is a wine and cheese crowd. Back in the day at the Arena, when it was just basketball, it was not. You know, it was and, SEC bas- It was SEC football and a basketball. It, it, yeah, it was. It was. You know, ACC, whatever you call it. Tiger Stadium on a on a Saturday night when LSU and Alabama are playing. Or I've been there. Yeah. I've been there for that game. By the way, I was at, at LSU Alabama night game at Tiger Stadium when Yeldon caught the screen pass from the minute and a half left and beat LSU. It was the loudest to quietest I've ever been at in a sporting event. So agree. Yeah, you know, <laughs> they, you don't get that. You know, you could hear the sound just reverberating throughout mm-hmm. the arena and the arena. Now there's just so many different corridors it just kind of goes out the place doesn't get that loud even when tobias harris had his game-winning dunk against the thunder a couple of years ago it just didn't seem that loud which is a problem because when you're not playing well you need the crowd to kind of give you a little bit of a of a pick-me-up and sure. you don't get that as much as a young team too yeah, that too. So you're saying that it's quiet in there, which means that it's easy to hear all the bricks that the Magic are going to toss up this year because they're going to have a bad offense. That was my segue back into talking about this year's team. Could I have done? What, how was you rated? Like like five out of ten, six out of ten, like like a four. Um, yeah, 3. I think 5. you five. You mixed analogies. That's a negative one point two. Yeah. Since when, what is this like a deduction? All right. So anyway, we do have to talk about we do have to talk about this year's team. So yeah, let, let's talk about this offense, right? So uh, we are convinced that they are going to be a bad offense, but is there? I, I sort of asked this earlier, and I think it's the key to their season, right? So is there a something that a lineup, a kind of scheme that they can put together where? Even though they have Gordon, who's a bad shooter, they have Ibaka, who's limited, they have Vucevic, who is not a three-point shooter yet, they have they do have some shooting on the wing with Fournier, and if they play his own yet, they have Peyton, who's a non-shooter. Is there what is what can they do well? What can they do that they can do well that they can sort of get to at least maybe slightly below average in offense, and then their great defense that we hope they're going to have can carry them to playoff contention. The the biggest thing that has to change uh, above anything else, even more than just three-point shooting, is free throws. The Magic for the last two seasons have been uh, <laughs> oh, no. one of the one of the most awful free throw shooting teams in terms of drawing fouls. They they just they don't do it. They've never had anybody aggressive enough to just drive to the hoop and and pick up those those gimmies. Uh, Oladipo was probably the best one, and he's gone. And Tobias Harris was probably the second best one. He's gone. 
somewhere Nick Anderson just shed a tear too because that's free throws being uh, a hey, so, you know what so, at least he and, at and least he was on the line at least he, he was <laughs> taking point. the free throws that that's doesn't happen point. today that's a good point man you gotta be you gotta be there to miss it unfortunately but I, I love Nick Anderson by the way I'm a huge Nick Anderson fan go ahead, uh, so, go ahead. so yeah so the Magic have to find a way to be more aggressive hopefully Frank Vogel can figure out a way to make that happen uh, figure out a way to help Peyton get into the teeth of the defense. Uh, Mike, I think you alluded to that a little bit earlier. There, there are some moments where Peyton can really get in there and do interesting things where sometimes those like weird, goofy-looking shots actually go in or he finds a way to make that pocket pass inside to somebody like Vucevic. Uh, if he can figure out a way to enhance that ability to really make something of himself every single time he goes into the paint. I think that's going to unlock a lot of things, not just for himself, but for everybody else around him. Yeah. And, you know, I, I touched on it a little bit earlier when I, I brought up the idea of running a Peyton Fournier, Hizonia, Gordon, Abaca lineup. I think that they need to play with a little bit more pace too, because they have these guys who are good athletes, you know, you throw Biombo out there as your center. He's a guy that can run the court some, you, you have Peyton, Fournier, Gordon, Hazonia, all these young guys that want to get out and run. Even Jeff Green is a great athlete. So, you know, if they can use their running to create offense, you know, on the break, but also the secondary break. And I 100% agree with Corey. You know, they need to get to the free throw line. You know, teams give away stuff to their fans that are there for scoring X amount <laughs> of points or hitting X amount of shots. The Magic should start giving away something for free when the team actually takes 20 free throws a game. <laughs> that that would be a good – that would be a funny let's, thing. Let's get Taco to, Bell to on watch. the horn right away. Yep. <laughs> and, and so, so you're saying most teams, they have the uh, Big Mac, like a 100-point thing. You're saying it's yeah, sort of yeah. more like a Taco Bell, like 20 free throw thing? Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, well, maybe, maybe like Taco Bell, live at the line, live Moss. Okay. There we go. Okay. <laughs> no, we're done. I, you got are you in advertising? It's live, live, live Moth as a way to sort of talk about how free throws are efficient <sighs> plays. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, gosh. Anyhow, the... Uh, okay, all right, all right, all right. The crickets in here, the devastation of Mike's puns. They're so subtle, they just get you. Um, uh, some fan questions. I know we just... Uh, I wanted to get into those. I think that's something really important. We appreciate all the good fan questions that we do get. So if you have a couple of them up teed up, go ahead. Yeah, let's, uh, let's see. Uh, a couple of them we've sort of answered already, but I think we can get into a little bit more detail. Um we talked a little about Alfred Pate. Why not? I want to. I want to recognize Brian Goldich, who sent us an email in early August with three magic questions. Even though our magic podcast was not recorded for another month, so I want to get man. to him. Uh, thank you for the questions. Uh, and again, you can always email me with these. A couple of them we've we've hit on already. Um, what What is the appeal with Alfred Payton? I guess it's kind of he 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 phrases as Can you explain the attraction to Alfred Payton, given how much they gave up? I mean, what. Best case scenario, what can he turn into in the next four to five years? I, th- I think best case for Alfred is he ends up being Rajon Rondo, maybe somebody who can shoot the ball a little bit better than that. But, you know, you're going to be looking for a guy that gives you 12 points, nine assists, six, seven rebounds a game. Hmm. I think the the attraction with Alfred at this point is mostly Rob Hennigan. Because I was going to say mostly his hair. Really, but <laughs> but second, but second is Rob Hennigan. Yeah, my my understanding from talking to some people within the organization is that Rob Hennigan is going to go to the grave with Alfred Payton if this doesn't work out and Rob ends up being fired. You know, be it after this season or next season or whenever he ends up moving on, it's going to be because of his undying love for Alfred Payton. He's so far bought in that I think he might s- sacrifice his firstborn for Alfred Payton at this Jeez. point. I mean, is there any logic to that? I mean, is, uh, is there any chance that he really is going to turn into the kind of player that Hennigan wants? Or, I mean, what is, I mean, Rob, Rob is a fairly smart guy, I think. I mean, what, what does he see that we don't? You know, I, I think 
a lot of it's the fact that Rob has talked about wanting to be this really good, strong defensive team. Elford was known for being a good defender in, in college, but he was also playing against guys that he was probably much better than. Yep. <laughs> but play, playing in the Sun Belt or the Fun Belt, however however you like to call, yeah. to call it these days, um, I think helped him a lot. And I think that we're kind of seeing the fact that he played above his competition. Yep. So, so you know, you see, you see that in mid majors with defensive, mm-hmm. like just over, Oh, being more, um, physically, uh, oppressive than, than you can do it. Like even in the, in like bigger conference play, um, but offense sticks out. That's where mid major offense is the type of stuff that transfers better. Usually like a shot per se. Um, yeah, I, I would agree there. Um, and you know, Elford's Elford's been working. He's been working with Dave Love, who is the shooting coach. He's been working with Aaron Gordon too. I think we we saw it a little bit improve a little bit last season. He showed a more of a willingness to shoot the ball, but he's still just not a great shooter. If if he's going to be even, I'd say league average as a starting point guard, he has to really develop his shooting. I, Corey, what what do you think? Uh, shooting is definitely important. There might be there might be a little bit of hope there. Not a lot. I'm not going to say he's going to turn into like Steve Nash or something. Uh, but he did mm-hmm. go from 26% to 32% three point shooting between his first and second seasons. If he can be league average, that's it's not really ideal for a point guard, but it they could work with it. They can make something happen. Um, if he uh, really so he, he has this reputation of being a, a major distributor. I'm not sure it's totally uh, there yet. He sometimes makes some poor decisions when he drives in. He has a hard time finding guys or he'll mm-hmm. uh, sometimes take shots that he doesn't need to. I think over time he's going to improve that decision making and and turn himself into somebody who makes the guys around him better. I think that's his best hope of being successful is to... Uh, find a way to maximize his team rather than maybe his own numbers. Well, if he doesn't work out, they have spent quite a bit of money on fairly suboptimal backups, so that should work out great. Um, (laughs) This is is not a question that anyone asked, but it is something we have yet to hit, which is the sort of playing time on the wing. Uh, Evan Fournier signed a big new contract. Uh, had a really good year, although I would say sort of slanted more in the first half of the year where he was much better, I thought, than than the middle part of the year. And then Mario Hazone, who I really didn't do a ton as a rookie, but still has that, uh, you know, con- has that sort of confidence, has that shooting ability. I thought he played fairly well at times for Croatia in the World Championships. How do you – do you see Hazonia sort of kind of creeping up on Fournier and taking some minutes, uh, or is this still kind of – Fournier taking the lion's share, and we're still not sure we have in Hazonia right now. If uh, Hazonia, I mean, we're going to say this over and over again because it's such a huge issue for the Magic, but if he can become a better shooter, then uh, there's definitely going to be opportunities for him on this team. Uh, Fournier, of course, is the Magic's best shooter right now, so I don't know if he'll necessarily supplant his minutes. Uh, If anything, if... uh, Hazonia becomes a reliable outside option. I think you see uh, lots of time with them together on the court to really try to juice the offense and make something work. You know, we've talked a lot during uh, this podcast about how the Magic are going to struggle with that. I uh, I think there's definitely hope for Hazonia. A lot of people talked about his confidence coming into the draft, about how he really believes in himself. And I think with somebody who's slightly more nurturing than Scott Skiles, and just a just a <laughs> so just a little bit. So anyone, uh, <laughs> right? With anyone, he's like uh, the Brillo the Brillo pad and the experiments that the monkeys like didn't like, and then they liked the cotton one, which could be Frank Vogel. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah, Vogel is known for being much more hands on with young players. Stress. Yeah, and you know to piggyback off that a little bit. Mario's versatility, he can play the two, he can play the three, I think, because he's got the size, but he can also handle the ball some, so that adds a ton to what he can do. And I think the fact that 
Scott Skiles was so hellbent on him becoming a good defender last year that he held him super accountable and took him out if he made even the smallest of mistakes is going to help him a ton. And, you know, the shooting is going to come. He has a really good, really good stroke. It's just a matter of shots actually falling. I think, you know, having a productive offseason like he did with Croatia in the Olympics is going to help him, you know, kind of have that confidence coming into the season. Not that Mario ever lacks confidence, but, you know, it's, it's the mindset of, hey, I've seen some shots go in. That's important still. Totally makes sense. Anyway, let's wrap this thing up. We I want to one more question that I, I want to ask. Our mutual internet friend Chris Barnwell asked me to ask this. Uh, I'm actually going to modify his question a little bit. Uh, as I understand it, Zach is a big beer person. He knows uh, craft beer. He knows almost anything. I like to think I'm a beer person. I'm sure I'm not even on Zach's level. So we concocted this question uh, before the show, and we're going to try to reveal our answer now, which is if. If you had to sum up the Orlando's Magic's offseason as if it was a single type of craft beer, what would it be? If we're going super uh, a certain <laughs> a certain style of beer, I might, you know, lean towards it being a sour because it was, you know, confusing. You know, sours can be, you know, really good palate cleansers and leave a really good taste, but then they'll leave you looking like you just, you know, took a bite out of a lemon. So (laughs) it's confusing. But if, if I have to pick one beer to kind of explain their off season, I'm going to go with uh, the due South category three hurricane season. It's a session IPA. It's (laughs) he really had an answer for this. Unbelievable. (laughs) You know, it's, I get you drunk. It, it's a pretty, it's a pretty smooth drinking IPA, but it has, you know, it has a little bit of bite to it, and you know, it's a, it's called, it's after a hurricane. That was kind of what the Magic's off season was, because you, you know, living in Florida, being through hurricanes, I know you, you, you kind of walk outside after a hurricane, you're like, what the heck just happened? There's a, <laughs> there's a tree down across the street. Okay, there's a cow. And so, where the hell did the cow come from? <laughs> who's the cat who's the cow in this scenario um did they panic and the cow fell there i think, the cow, uh, I think were, were I they think intending the... to sign like uh a bull or something you know, and like a they two- instead pickup truck or something <laughs> they instead got the cow i think in this scenario the cow is going to be jeff green because everyone's yep, still agree 100 percent confused about why the heck that happened but you know there's there's confusion after a hurricane you know Maybe there's not a ton of confusion after drinking that brew, but mm. the Magic's offseason was pretty confusing. Have you guys ever? Are you guys uh, of the age of Simpsons fans, or is that like it was like the the, the heart of the Simpsons, uh, an era like just that you missed? I I grew up watching some Simpsons. I okay. Do do you know the hurricane episode like where they have like the hurricane and they go into the hurricane and then like when it's over like there's just like an older woman one of the Agnes or whatever her the ladies is like stuck through the tree that's how I'm envisioning Jeff Green just like in the arena just like everyone's like how did I get here all right God sure I guess I'll play basketball for who the Orlando Magic oh man so so we've been we've been killing the heck out of this I mean so let let's um. Let's talk about what we actually think is going to happen this year. Uh, Let me set the table real quick. Yeah. They were 30, 35 and 47 last season, but only a minus 16, uh, I believe, in, in uh, point differential, which uh, isn't, isn't like – I'm sorry, not 16, uh, 1.6. I apologize. 1.6 in point differential. So they weren't like – that far off, it appears they lost a lot of close games potentially. Um, yeah, I mean, there were there were seven games over five hundred at the start of the start of the year. Right. They look like they could actually make it. So and twenty three and eighteen at home. So uh, Corey, you can have first stab at this. Give us your prediction for the record this season. Uh, we've been killing the magic all episode, but I'm I am an <laughs> optimist. I I'm not going to say that they're going to like take the world by storm or turn into the. Uh, uh, what the 2013 Phoenix Suns is that the year they like randomly exploded out of nowhere when they were supposed to be the worst yep. team? Uh, I that I don't think that's gonna happen. But uh, while there are a lot of confusing moves, like 
Jeff Green signing, the Tobias Harris trade. Do they get enough value for Oladipo? All those are important questions, but I think there's things that they did that make sense, especially the defense. And combining that with Frank Vogel, who I really believe in, I'm I'm feeling okay about what could happen. A lot of uncertainty, but I would go with something along the lines of maybe 40 wins. Okay. Uh, and I know that that's optimistic compared to a lot of people, but I, I can sort of see the the faint outlines of a plan. <laughs> okay. Kind of. I like optimism. Optimism is good. On, when, when, when we get through a podcast of, of somewhat being derogatory towards a team's uh, player personnel moves, but then you can spin it with a, a positive five plus five wins from the year before. I think that's the perfect way to ultimately be able to say this was a positive Orlando magic uh, podcast. Um, more, more predictions, more predictions. Yeah. Go don't ahead. listen to the first 50 minutes. Just listen to the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we, we didn't rip into the team or anything. Um, <laughs> I think that the magic are kind of in that cluster of, you know, five, six teams from about seven to 13 with the Knicks I think the Bulls are going to be there. Atlanta, Miami, pending Chris Bosh's health. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, Milwaukee probably, maybe even Indiana because I'm I'm a lot lower on Indiana than a lot of people because I don't really like Nate McMillan as a coach. Um, you know, I think they're kind of in that cluster of teams that could make the playoffs or they could win 25 games. You know, it's just so. What's yeah. it going to be? Yeah, I think they're going to be around where they were last year. Probably, you know, a thirty-eight, thirty-nine win team, which is progress. But I don't think it's going to be enough to keep everyone around. I think we'll end up seeing them move on from Rob Hennigan, maybe even move on from CEO Alex Martins after the season, and then you know reload, keep Vogel, and see if they can they can do something from there but that's mm. that's a discussion for next season well if if they it's true but if they find themselves off to a slow start uh and potentially looking down the barrel of i don't know a regression call it a five win regression and they're around 30 wins and all of a sudden they're picking in potentially in the top six seven picks in a very point guard heavy class like you could see the tides turning probably pretty quickly potentially no yeah i i think so and you yeah. know my my biggest prediction for the team this season is this: Nick Vucevic is gone before the trade deadline. Okay, interesting. And maybe he can go back to the uh, the Sixers. So Ben, will be yeah, happy. We, we, I, yeah, I we need another Sixers, center. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say I hear the Sixers need a, a shooting guard. So yeah. um, it's, it's it's crazy, man. I'm just I'm looking at like I was thinking about Gordon being six nine and playing small forward and like two twenty. He's chiseled too, you know, and he flies around the court athletically. And I'm like, man, Simmons is like. A lot bigger than him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just anyhow the court spacing. Everything's gonna be a cluster for us. But we already shit on the Sixers for uh, forty-five minutes uh, with two guys uh, previously. So just so you know, we're we're equal opportunity. Yeah, we we have achieved our contractually obligated uh, <laughs> performance to include the Sixers in every single podcast that we record. Uh, anyway, I, thinking about the way this team is gonna gonna play this year, it's hard for me to see how they're gonna be any better than twentieth in offense. You know, probably worse, right? I mean, it's it's hard for me to see them being at that level. They just have so little shooting and even really so little playmaking. I, I it's hard for me to see. And unless if they're that, unless the defense is like top five good, which I mean, maybe I I don't see it, but it's not totally out of the realm of possibility. That's the only way I think they're going to make the playoffs. And so I think what what's more likely to happen is that they're kind of right back where they were. The, about where they were this year, with just a totally different mix, and all 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 hell could break loose with the the front office because, like you said, there are just so many competing agendas there. So I, I think it's more likely than not that we're going to be right back here where we started, except now Serge Ibaka is a free agent. Maybe Nick Vucevic is off the team. The only way that I think this could it could go otherwise as if look Aaron Gordon really turns into a superstar level player. I mean, he's still really young. Uh, it's not totally out of the realm of possibility, but it's, I think that the Vogel has talked about like sort of, he could be Paul George like, and that's sort of what 
He isn't. I, I don't see that. I, I don't think there's similar kinds of players. I don't really see like how he can kind of carry the playmaking and perimeter defense at this point. Uh, that's the only way I think that, that the franchise's fortunes really change. And I, What's I your really prediction? What do you got, Mike? So I, I'm thinking, again, like 36 wins and kind of right back where we were, just like this. I think I, I like other teams in the East Morass better. Yeah, I'm trying. I, I'm not. I think uh, I'll give them uh, 34 wins. Maybe they lose one more game. I don't know. My my whole thing with Orlando is I can't decide if they are closer to the Sixers or like the Hornets or Pistons, some team that's going to win like you know between 45 and 48 games. Like in actual proximity, I think they're a lot closer to the Sixers, and that worries me for their overall record because I'm not sure that they're going to be better than the Knicks or Bucks this season and other than the Nets and Sixers that was it for the the basement of the East so I'm I'm a little confused about Orlando I think we'll have a better picture uh, fellas uh, all of us I think we could agree once we see this play out with rotations and and what Vogel actually does because there's a lot of a lot of question marks probably coming out of this podcast um, and and out of this this offseason um but any any closing uh, closing thoughts or things we should be looking for on the uh, orlando pinstriped post fellas yeah i think we're going to be getting you know getting down deep into the preview stuff soon but cool. I, I i do have this to say um if aaron gordon does turn into paul george this season mm. i will record myself i will buy a six pack of natty light <laughs> and Damn. i will shotgun all six okay <laughs> you you guys heard it here first i mean we broke news on this podcast and we've got a bet that uh i have, i have never drank i'm, I'm a college-age student and i've never had a natty in my life <laughs> wow, wait i didn't know those people existed i'm ashamed at how much natty i've I drank was gonna say in my life. yeah <laughs> I, I've always had standards. I've I've had people try to get me to drink natty, and I've always refused. But yeah. if if this actually happens, I will do it. Uh, I was. I, by the way, when you guys were talking about types of beer, I found a great one to describe. In my opinion, uh, Orlando it was called the French Toast. It was perfect. It's it's a play on Fournier, obviously. Uh, but it is an American brown ale, and it is strong, like ten point eight percent alcohol brown ale. It's called the Funky Buddha Brewery. So there you go. Yep, Funky Buddha is a great brewery. Um, I had an I had another one too that I could have used, which was the Darwin Summer Days um, <laughs> IPA. <laughs> Uh, because this summer was just kind of a daze for the magic, I think. So, <laughs> oh man, I can't. We're gonna put these uh, beer av- the beer advocate pages in our sh- in our show notes for these, yeah, right? So you can enjoy them. Uh, I am blown away by your beer knowledge. <laughs> I, I I've had a, a brew or two in my life. I'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. There you go, Orlando Magic and drinking craft beer. Perfect. Okay. So, yeah, that's this podcast. Thank you guys for coming on. We got the uh, Utah Jazz coming up next. Uh, and then we get into my Washington Wizards. This should be a very exciting discussion. And then so we're soon. Gonna, yeah, we're, we're getting there. So this is, again, this is the 11th of 30 uh, teams podcast we're doing before the season starts. You can we, listen to, we can listen to all 10 on the Limited Upside feed. You should leave us reviews, subscribe. We're doing it with our SB Nation communities uh, because they know the teams really well. It's a great way to get the pulse of the fan base. And as it turns out, the pulse of the Magic fan base is about the same as the pulse of the national audience looking at what the Magic are doing, which I honestly didn't expect. I thought there might be a little bit more optimism or like, actually, this plan makes sense. So I appreciate the the realness here. Uh but yes, the Jazz will be next, then Washington, and then Chicago. So we are getting closer to the middle and the actual good teams in the NBA. So uh, enjoy that. Oh, 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 oh.